ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we are still talking. Friday the 13th, part 8, Jason takes Manhattan-ish parts of Canada on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from uh, the river that's attached to Camp Crystal Lake. According to some nautical people in this movie, this is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We will be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th Part 8 in the hopes that a, a Lakeview High's graduate's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And of course, there is only one person I trust to threaten a menacing deckhand with a flare gun, the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to be back from my uh, my my unintentional sabbatical. <laughs> we miss you dearly. Although, in terms of how people actually consume the podcast, you were back for Terror Train, so you you have reemerged. This is your um, time to re-enter the world of uh, Friday the Thirteenth, at least. I, I am glad to to be back in that world. <laughs> That should I try that? Should I try that again? Should I bring a little more enthusiasm, a little more juice to it? No, I enjoy the honesty. To be honest, <laughs> to be honest with you, not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, it's I'm hot and cold on this. This movie is terrible in a lot of ways, but it's also a lot of fun to talk about. I sure hope it's fun for people to listen to. I guess <laughs> if they don't is, have to watch it, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Gina, I don't want to alarm you, but we are not alone. No, our guest this week knows all about a good Siege-style horror film because he wrote one. That's right. You might know him from the recent release Jackals, the one and only Jared Rivette. How you doing, Hello. sir? I am doing great. I am so uh, proud to be joining you on this long voyage from New Jersey to Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that argu- you really have to secure yourself. That arduous trek. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so many people died creating this route. Really, we're, we should be honoring their sacrifice rather than, you know, nitpicking at the idea <laughs> that Crystal Lake is connected to a river that's big enough for a boat to go on it that also connects to New York Harbor. <laughs> After a long, long voyage. Oh, my God. Many well, hours. At one point, they do stop. Oh. Because when our main character, Rennie, is unceremoniously bumped off the boat, it's not moving at all. They've that's just... Right. fucking stop for no particular reason (laughs) it's just it's time for us to stop here uh now we have a tradition here on the kill by kill podcast jared and Mm -hmm. that is that we want to know what your first introduction was to the friday the 13th film series it was definitely more of an awareness thing i was young in the 1970s i was i was around but i was not old enough to go see r-rated movies but my my memory of it was waiting in line to see uh the empire strikes back and the poster for friday the 13th was on the wall and being completely intrigued and drawn to that 
whole, you know, what is that and how, how creepy is it and how scared would I be? And then I would, I did not see it in the theater. I saw it on cable and Jason, young Jason popping up out of the lake at the end pretty much did me in, terrified me. And I, from that point on, would kind of consume any and every Friday the 13th movie that I could on cable. And the first one I saw theatrically was Final Chapter. Uh, yeah, it took me a while. I think this might, I, this or, or part seven might have been my first one in, in the theater. Uh, uh, my family had a more strict control over my viewing habits, uh, unlike Gina, who was in some sort of New Jersey based Wild West. Yeah, I, was, I basically just lived among the wolves. I was allowed to watch whatever I wanted. Totally. Totally. Same here. Same here. And all for our benefit. In the exactly. When, when you think about it. Exactly. So here we are in the midst of Friday the 13th Part 8. We rejoin the action uh, right around the point where uh, it appears like Jason has pegged another grown man with a spear. <laughs> Turns out, no, 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 he's actually placed it in his lower back. The director's just framed it in a very super weird way. <laughs> Followed up by Captain I'm Disappointed in You, Dad, getting his throat sliced with the wrong way of the machete as per friday the 13th tradition and a very bloodless wound at that and it's very oddly edited not only is the throat slicing slowed down but then the cutaway shot to the window is slowed down mm-hmm. they're trying that they're, they're <laughs> trying for a couple little artsy things here like certainly with with that and with and we'll get to it when with, with eva's death scene they're, they're trying a little something and seeing if anything yeah. you know actually works and you know, surprise it doesn't really work but yeah i think there was some directorial you know wheel reinvention going on in the creative end of this movie i think <laughs> i think it's his first feature he had done rob hedden had done episodes of friday the 13th the series yeah uh, prior to this and there i mean this was when seven and eight are pretty much being run by the folks that were doing the series right that that was kind of the, yeah, the canadian connection of... Yeah, they're all kind of mixing and, and matching together at that point. I'm sure it was a lot. I mean, this is sort of a, a heyday of yeah. uh, people do, doing a lot of TV up in Canada. Not right, that it's really right, stopped, right. but he's, um, I don't know that he's the best match stylistically. There's a lot of choices here that seem to push everything in a supernatural direction without yes. giving it any sort of rules. No. And it, and it becomes very confusing as a result. Absolutely. So here we go. We now find ourselves with Sean and Rennie. Rennie has managed to change her clothes, <laughs> but Sean is still wearing the same clothes that he jumped into the ocean or a river or a lake. We're not sure which. <laughs> to rescue her and immediately told, go get me some towels because he hasn't done enough. <laughs> they are investigating some odd happenings on the ship now. They're, they're convinced that something weird is going on Rennie wants to get off and she asks well let's before we get into that let's do a quick body count let's tell everyone who is still alive at this point in the movie first up we have Rennie this is our lead character she looks like uh, Wendy's mascot attending a very chilly stop of the little fair <laughs> tour and then we have Sean who is Rennie's boyfriend maybe I mean the sexual chemistry between this two, I would rate on a score from zero to Cobb salad. <laughs> well, is the, is, is the zero, is the zero also... Wayne and JJ? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want Wayne and JJ to have sexual chemistry. 
They just don't happen to have anything. Wayne, Wayne is blind. I don't know how you could walk into a room and JJ is available to talk to in any way, shape, or form, and you go, oh, no, 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 no. Let me go off and try to pursue this, you know, crazy cokehead who can't finish a biology report before she graduates. Right. Well, and let's but, let's not hey. forget what the 10 is, which is Tamara and McCulloch. I mean, they're, they're definitely yeah. like, that's hot, hot <laughs> teacher student action. There's so much awkward leg movement yes. in that. And up until this point, I thought it was all behind me. But all it takes is one person mentioning it and it just leaps to mind. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, we have Charles, who is uh, Rennie's legal guardian and the worst decision maker who has ever lived. Oh. If he told you that the moon was up, I'm pretty sure it would be noon. <laughs> like, I, there's no, he doesn't make a right decision in this entire movie. No, and, and it is laughable that he's a school official in yeah, any he, way, shape, or form. And his 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 decision make his his commentary is just he goes straight to asshole every yeah, single he, time. Yeah, he 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 no watched he watched is. Animal House and thought Dean Wormser was the hero. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a point later in the movie than where we are where they dock the lifeboat at the docks and McCulloch actually says to uh, Sean, "Great place to dock a boat." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dock. Where would you like him to dock Where it? 42nd else? I, I Street? I have absolutely no idea. I have no idea what the point of that line was. It's incredible. It's just asshole. It, it's just pure <laughs> asshole. <laughs> it's like they all sat around between between takes and like, what's the worst thing he could possibly yes. say? And wh whatever grip came up with the right line, <laughs> that's what got put on his pages for the day. Continuing along with our body count, we have Colleen. Uh, now, Colleen is Rennie's teacher at school, and she's a woman that's so upset by how, how Charles constantly rules Rennie's life and makes all her decisions for her that she's going to do something about it. She's going to tell Rennie how to live her life and what to do at all times instead. That'll teach her. And we also have Julius, who is an undefeated high school boxer, which may be the most fantastical description inside of this movie that also features Jason Voorhees captaining <laughs> a boat. And uh, that pretty much leaves us with the characters that uh, their lives will memorialize on yes. today. And so once again, let's uh, snap back to Sean and Runny. Runny wants to get off the boat and uh, Sean says, I'm going to radio for a Coast Guard clipper. They'll come pick you up. And then she's like, but you're not going to come. Now, this is before they walk into the captain's cabin. What the, is the, oh, the bridge. The name of the yeah. wheelhouse. The bridge. You need more Star Trek. Uh, you have to go to another Paramount uh, <laughs> franchise to learn your nomenclature. That's absolutely right. And this is where we get our first glimpse of something we don't actually see a whole lot in this movie, but we've seen many, many times before. And that is Jason Voorhees, interior slash exterior decorator. <laughs> He's placed the captain's body just so, so that it only falls once <laughs> eyeballs are placed on it. Yeah, the, the timing of it is just, it's, it's Rube Goldbergian. It's really, it's just, yes. it's astonishing. It's like an OK Go video. Well, and think about it. I mean, think about he I'm, had to actually think about the like, currents. <laughs> 
and waves and tides and the moon in order to make that happen? Because the, the boat yeah. is swaying. There's a big storm going on. Well, well, he was able to correctly and immediately identify the wires that attach the, the communication system for the ship. And and later he'll do something with a, with a yeah. fire alarm that we, we need to talk about. This movie ascribes certain... Um, knowledge to Jason Voorhees, a, a mutant backwoods killer, possibly raised by raccoons and a single working toilet <laughs> with fantastical abilities. Now, we've denoted in the past how he magically learned how to swim, which for a kid who drowned, that's saying something. Sure. But now he knows all the ins and outs of a boat's mechanics. It's like last time I ascribed it to him having a sort of sexual awakening. Now, we've always talked about how Jason knows your fuck style and uses it against you. But now he's actually employing his own fuck style. He's killed two people on a boat. Now he's killed several people on a boat. And that's all Jason wants to do for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. It's like, I love how my legs go back and forth and I stab people. He's into it. Well, it's, it's relaxing. And it's, I mean, like when you ever have one of those, you ever use one of like white noise apps? They're, half of them have to do with water sounds. That's right. He has. He's totally found his, his calling. And it, it only took him seven films to get there, but we finally found, put your notebooks down, bloggers. We found the best Jason. Not, not the best Jason to watch. But the best Jason for Jason. We found the, we 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 found the yacht rock Jason. <laughs> he, he's just gonna be he's gonna be chilling with a wine spritzer, some boss gags on the radio, just coasting right into Manhattan. That's right. We we got we got some uh, East Coast yacht going on. <laughs> Let the yacht rock beyond yacht rock guys know we finally found the correct mascot for their podcast. Um, after they've had Yacht Rock, a, a genre they literally created from nothing, ripped out of their hands over and over and over again <laughs> in the last two years. Now, the look on Sean's face when he discovers Captain Dad is something to be believed. Because it, this is either the best or the worst moment of his life. Because while he's found his only father, his throat slashed, he's also free of his hatred of how he doesn't do the right things when you're launching a boat. Mm. It's true. He's kind of in amazement, but he's also, there's a twinkle in his eyes <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Renny doesn't know what to make of it. There's a lot of Star Trek acting as they brace themselves <laughs> over various waves <laughs> that do not look to be occurring. And this is when Sean announces to everyone, there's been a terrible incident. Everyone come to the place where the incident happened. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, all right, sure. Well, Julius is like, what the fuck is this? And is immediately surrounded by toadies who are like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> Every room Julius walks into, he's surrounded by white guys who are like, he's in charge. And there's a reason because Julius is one of those the rare breed of Friday the 13th characters. When presented with the idea that a masked madman is cutting down young people left and right, he's like, well, we ought to fucking do something about it. <laughs> Where have you been all my life, Julius? <laughs> Not on my watch, baby. Not on my graduation cruise. I sold, I sold magazine subscriptions for six months to pay for this fucking thing. <laughs> Everyone with the, ex well, I know Wayne is there too. So everyone who's on the first sheet of the call sheet is called into this room. Who's left alive. Pretty much. Pretty much. Although there's a couple of randos uh, later on that are left in a 
left in the in the in the restaurant. And I don't know where they are in this. Scene. Yeah. Well, now that is a source of great debate because earlier this week, you know, it was Halloween. By the time this airs, it'll be two weeks after. But everyone attempts to start writing horror articles, even though they have a very tangential idea of you know, what horror movies are, or they've watched them once. They've done some internet research and they think they're super smart. And someone noted in their list of nine things you don't know about Friday the 13th, that this has the highest body count. And they're counting people who were killed in the boat explosion. Now, are we counting people caught in a boat explosion because Jason did not intend for the boat to sink. Would he really would he really care though? Point. Would he be like, oh no, gee guys, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I don't know that he cares, but I don't know that he would count those bodies. I don't know he'd go, oh, I got some people in the periphery, good for me, who killed a bunch of extra people and he wasn't even trying, the guy between these two thumbs. I mean I guess it yeah, I mean I've I've gotten into debates about this with with other other movies, Alien Three. I've had the same argument about uh, who who kills Bishop. There was this whole thing that went around involving uh, how you know Bill Bill Paxton uh, was killed by a predator, a Terminator, and and uh, the alien. And mm-hmm. uh, there was this when Paxton died for some reason that started floating around again. But then everybody was adding that Lance Henriksen has also been killed by all three of those critters. And I was True. arguing that in Alien Three, he is not killed by the alien; he is killed by Ripley. And I had people tell me, well, the alien is responsible for the crash that put him, or, or if you want to count the queen that tore him in half. So I have this question, I guess, about whether or not we're counting. I mean, the people that die on the boat later on die because of the sinking of the boat, which is caused by Jason. Yeah. It's a debate. But unintentionally, it's not like it's not like he knew. No. Uh, you know, Gina already mentioned this. He knows that those wires on that antenna, which doesn't really look like any other antenna, are going to cut it off. Yeah. Does he know when he throws Wayne's body on top of that electrical panel, which is something he just likes to do in general? Of course. This is like the third time he's thrown somebody on an electrical panel. And he's like, whoopsie. He pulls a Steven Seagal act usually on them. But this time it's a full on hoi. Now, mind you, he. He pulls the wires out. Now, he's been in that bridge, and he could have very easily simply destroyed the radio. It wouldn't have been all that difficult, especially if he's right there and it's a source of communication. Just break that fucking thing. But (laughs) instead, he waits until Sean is is making the distress call, and then decides to uh, pull the wires out on on camera. We watch him do yeah. it. <laughs> it's true. He waited for the camera crew to show up. Well, he's given ample opportunity because Sean makes the longest call for help I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he starts celebrating in the middle of it, which maybe his dad was right. Maybe he's not ready to captain a ship. I don't... <laughs> he suddenly went dad very downhill in terms of trustworthiness from where he was way high before this is a maneuver that i find troubling that he starts this call with the the coast guard and then pauses to go yes i did it (laughs) and that's when jason cuts the wires and now you haven't done it Mm. well thanks a lot sean fucking why did we give you that sexton god damn it (laughs) 
Nowadays, you've got all this fancy electronic equipment that tells you exactly how to do it without having to have any real problem. But here's a clunky mechanical thing from the 1700s that uh, you can use instead. <laughs> but no. when we're talking about bad maneuvers, there's only one person in this pile of people that, well, I wouldn't say rises, sinks to the bottom low enough that you always know where he is. And that's Charles. Uh <laughs> He runs in the room yelling, I demand to know what's going on, which I don't think he needs to say. I think that's implied every time he enters any room. I think it would be, I think it would have been much funner if he just like tripped over the captain's body, like in his way, like just, just blustering into the room. <laughs> I mean, he's so full of bluster that even after nearly tripping over that body, he puts his hand on Sean's back and says, I'm doesn't say sorry. He can't bring himself to say, I'm sorry. We got we got one of these people in charge, and one of these people is in a time capsule in this Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> they can't stop shooting themselves in the dick. It's insane because they have tiny ticks. <laughs> yeah, he's basic. He's basically makes Ed Rooney looks like Mr. Chips. I mean, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I, I often wonder with his lines, like we talked about the doc thing, I wonder if he just kind of had his all of his lines memorized and when he arrived on the set, he just said, I, you cannot change any of these lines. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know these lines. And well, well uh, sir, we've now established in this particular set that it's different than when it was written and we're going to have... No, 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 no. You don't understand. <laughs> I have memorized all of the lines. This is the way that they will be recited. Because he really does. He walks in a room and sometimes he says things that everyone else already sees or that aren't the way that he says they are or, you know, great place to dock a boat or whatever it is <laughs> where he just kind of looks at the situation and it's like, well, wait, wouldn't you see that? Wouldn't you... Like, why do you have to say these things out loud? You're right. It is a completely obvious scene to walk in on. And then he has to demand to know what's going on <laughs> as though that isn't empirically clear from just from walking in the room. Well, now, yeah. you're, you're, you're probably the person that we would ask about this because you are a legitimate screenwriter. So have you, not naming names, of course, but have you run into in your, your vast career at this point? Uh, the, the one, uh, the one produced movie. Well, you've, you've written, written, you are a yes. working screenwriter. You yes, don't earn true. money as a barista and then you got no. one movie made. Like, That's correct. That's correct. I'm I'm a writer. Not everything I do is produced. I just I'm paid to put words on a page. <laughs> so, have you run into a situation, either personally or through your colleagues, where someone has decided the text that you have given me is sacrosanct, and I'm going to say it no matter what, and no matter what seems to constantly be happening? Yes. I definitely have. I've had both ways. I've had the, I'm going to say exactly what you wrote and everybody in the room kind of feeling like, eh, maybe he doesn't need to, you know, now that we're here and I see how this is being staged, no, you don't necessarily need to say that. Mm -hmm. And then I've also had, hey, I'm just going to change this line. I, I had an actor who will remain nameless who wanted to change the age of another character uh, <laughs> by changing the line of dialogue. And it was something that had already been established in an earlier scene in the movie. And he or she just did not feel that that age suited the person whom he was speaking to. 
and decided to say, you know, that uh, here's how old you are. And so we had like an ugly, weird little moment where we had to kind of put firmly put our foot down and say, no, you have to say this. Um, so I've had both. And, and it is interesting. And I've, I have, of course, stepped in and said, hey, look, like you don't now have to say, hey, I demand to know what's going on because, look, there's dead bodies on the floor and everyone's kind of gathered to try to figure out what to do. Like you don't necessarily have to state the obvious when you've yeah. walked in the room. So, yeah, sometimes you just feel it out. And sometimes actors will impulsively just say like, hey, you know, look, no offense but I'm not going to say this because I don't... Do you agree with me that this is now obvious? And you say, yes, absolutely. Just right. cut that line. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, ma- you know, you're making the film three times. Your one right. is on you know, your computer, the next time when you're on set, the next time when you're in the editing booth. So each time you're sort of you know, amassing a, a clock with all these moving pieces that must move in synchronous manner three separate times. It's a really hard thing to put together. So we understand why things fall apart. Oh, God, it's so interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the midst of this meeting of the minds, let's say, in walks Crazy Ralph Maritime Edition <laughs> yet again. He is my least favorite harbinger. <laughs> Because he didn't warn anyone before they got onto the ship, and he hasn't come up with anything to say other than you're just generally duped. Like, Crazy Ralph had two purposes. One, perv on people through windows. That's always number one. (laughs) It's always at the top of the list. Number two, have very good posture when you're riding a bike. And three, warn people away from the area where murder's about to happen. And he's almost, he's very successful in the first two. That third one, his record's a little shoddy, but that's because people don't believe him or don't listen to him here. It doesn't matter if you believe or listen to him. They're all trapped on the same fucking boat he is, and he didn't get off. Yeah, he he missed a couple classes in Harbor Drove Doom School. <laughs> True. He, he, I mean, Ralph. Ralph just, you know, he pedaled away. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he 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 missed, you know, tell people in advance. He missed, please re- remove yourself from immediate danger. He missed all the the key aspects of of Doom Harbor during. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's the worst of the uh, heart. You know, the crazy Ralph sequels for sure. He's right at the bottom. He's also the one who mentions that he saw Jason get off a boat. Which, again, confirms that he saw Jason piloting a boat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every time I think about it, cannot stop laughing at the very idea of it. (laughs) Secondly, he he says, I saw him get on down the river. Which now means that this lake is attached to a river, which is attached to the ocean, which is attached to New York Harbor. So... And surrounded by mountains that have never been there before. But hey, that's Canada for you. What are you going to fucking do? <laughs> yeah, Charles McCullough is just the worst fucking official. He is. He, I, I will say this. He does one thing right. When he asked Sean, uh, have you seen the person who I'm supposedly in charge of? who doesn't like to listen to me and I give her bad advice all the time. He's like, oh yeah, I sent that girl who's afraid of water and never been on a boat for like a decade to go drop anchor in the middle of a storm. And he's like... And, uh, and she knows exactly where to go. She knows exactly what lever to push. It's it's mm-hmm. that's right. She goes to a lever that does not appear to be labeled. She she's like taking like like two years of boating school, just just you know looking around there. Yep, that's the one clank. Right, right, right. For a, for a cruise ship, 
to yeah. to stop stop a cruise ship dead in its tracks <laughs> in its tracks and she just yeah cranks it up and wheels start turning and we assume that to be an anchor but it also looks like the chain is going up I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? There's not a lot of great detail work. We got a killer POV shot coming up on her where the person looks at an axe and then to her, which, which when we find out it's Charles, I be, I'm beginning to think he's like, ooh, just one swing, Charles. They'd never know. Don't blame it on the other guy. It's the perfect plan. No one's around. I can kill her. I can keep my sweater vest clean and we're good to go. <laughs> oh man i i mean the i know i understand the implication here you want to fake the audience out yes but when you find out that it's charles that makes zero goddamn sense no absolutely no this is it's a goofy 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 movie <laughs> not 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 the goofy movie just a goofy movie no 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 <laughs> Just a goofy, 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 goofy movie. And I, I would also like to add that the that the uh, Harbinger is, I've never pronounced his name before, but it's Alex Dyakon or Dakin. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. But he's one of those guys, as soon as you see him, whether you've whether it's been in an interior or not, as soon as you see him in a movie or a TV show, you know that you're in Canada. <laughs> he's legally mandated to appear. He he is he's total a Canadian character actor. He played multiple multiple character roles in X Files, and he would just in anything that's shot in Canada, he is cast. He must be a wonderful person to be on set with. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure he's got amazing freaking stories. But yeah, he's he's one of those guys where I see him and I'm like, oh, shot in Canada. <laughs> it's like the dead giveaway of whatever it is I'm watching. So we're about to uh, meet the first, our first uh, of the people that we're going to memorialize on this particular episode. Their, their deaths are very brief, but but they are important. Um, and that first person is Eva, and uh, you will know her uh, because she will never be caught with her pants down. The reason she's wearing a belt and suspenders. She's wearing suspenders backwards. Yeah. <laughs> She's not uh, another bad little fad. She's uh, crisscross. That's right. The, like the Mac Daddy and the Daddy Mac. <laughs> With the references almost as old as this movie. <laughs> almost. But this predates it. So I wonder if someone in Atlanta saw this. is like, oh, it looks terrible on her. But I'm a 12-year-old boy. That would look so much better. <laughs> You're right. You know, for like that one summer, you were totally right. I would also like to point out in the scene that she appears in in the chunk of the movie that that I that we are discussing, there is more slime snot, uh, and and something that is re- recurring throughout Jason Takes Manhattan is that Jason is covered in this viscous snot. Yeah, mm-hmm. he they, like when she's looking at the the holy man door, the hole like in the door. Out, it looked like a scene out of Aliens. It's just like this is like just. <laughs> oozing from it and i don't know what that is and uh uh child ghost child jason who by the way why is he dead in a ghost who knows he's right there but he's also covered in the stuff and it looks like it's cold like it looks like it's 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 making him shiver but i don't know why i don't know what i mean i i had read up a little bit on this and hotter said that he was sliding around all over the place like when there were all these uh, flubs and bloopers where he was just sliding around because he was covered in this shit 
And I guess there's a shot. There's a shot coming up where he steps when he goes up to uh-huh. Wayne. He plants his left foot and it slides out from yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think and and so evidently what the thinking was that he was covered in kind of bottom of Crystal Lake silt or 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 slime, just the you know stuff from being at the bottom of a lake for all these years. But yeah. he is constantly oozing snot. At one point, the the <laughs> snot comes out of his eye socket. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's still he, he's still just thumping and squishing away whenever he he walks around too. No, and and that's yeah. So I don't know what the thinking. Uh, yet another one of the reinventing the wheel type things. Like Jason's never been covered in slime before, but in this movie he is manufacturing slime <laughs> at yeah. every step. It's one of those crazy things where someone, you know, and listen, every single movie here. I know at by this point they figured, okay, this is a series. The train just keeps on rolling. Right. But one of the fascinating parts of, of doing this and looking at these movies in such detail is that you see how most of the filmmakers said, I'm going to paint. If this ever happens again, I'm painting that guy into a corner. Right. Like, I got forced into a weird corner. I'm going to paint you into a corner. Exactly. And the fun is, how are you going to get out of it? And some people obviously do a lot better at it than others. But this particular director has decided that he's going to reinvent Jason Voorhees in the eighth movie. Yes. Which takes some balls. And so, yeah, we have this simultaneous Jason thing where he's a ghost and, like all cinematic ghosts, won't tell you what the fuck he wants. And... Uh, you also have the lumbering giant uh, who's constantly sloughing off whatever the fuck he's emanating. Uh, and he's also breathing a lot. Heavily. 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 Like he's Darth fucking Vader. Why does this reanimated zombie need to breathe is my question to the I panel. Mean, when Eva uh, runs into him in the hallway right after she finds Tamara's body, he's heaving. Like, And, and what has he been doing? He hasn't been doing he, anything. He's like he's been helping his friends move. <laughs> you know, or he decided t- today to take the stairs up to the office. <laughs> Never doing that again. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. They told me when I they told me to take it easy on the treadmill when I got back. I mean, honestly, I overdid it a little bit. <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta lay off those Newports, man. Shit. <laughs> he's so exhausted and he's so winded that he decides to teleport for the rest of the scene. <laughs> I, my wife got me a, a coupon for this rowing class, and they said it was going to be easy for all levels, but oh, I'm just having some trouble. Okay. I, I don't, did I ever tell the um, the mixed martial arts story on the podcast? No. No. I would have definitely remembered that one. So at one point, Becky and I decided, fuck a TV, we're going to write a book. And then we wrote a book, and they said, this is too funny to put in print. No one write, uh, reads funny mysteries. <laughs> and then it was all over with. Um, so as part of that, my the character, uh, one of the main characters, you know, knew how to fight. And, of course, I don't know deck about fighting. So she got me this trial uh, set of classes for mar- <laughs> mixed martial arts. And I come in, and we start warming up and kicking and punching and this, this. And then we're doing uh, jumping jacks, and then we're doing jumping rope. And I'm like oh my god we're like 45 minutes into this you know i'm surprised i'm standing up right he goes all right that's a great warm-up <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about and we proceeded to go for another 45 minutes and wow. 
I am doing everything I can. I'm taking in water. I'm not pushing. He says, don't push yourself. I'm like, I'm just trying to stay upright. And towards the end of it, I had an idea that if I didn't sit down right that very minute, I'm not sure I could control my bladder. There wasn't anything in my bladder because all the moisture in my body was coming out through every other pore. But Like, like Jason's not. Pretty much. <laughs> just every like I was soaking like I had jumped in a pool fully clothed and I'm like I can't believe this that I can't even really hold on to whatever minuscule amount of pee I had in my bladder and it's like you're the only guy who's gotten through this class in the last six months who hasn't passed out wow that's something you tell somebody when they walk in the door <laughs> you don't wait until after where it was like congratulations on not fainting no 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 no. yeah he gave me an apple as a reward oh and God. i ate that apple for 45 minutes as, a, as they're rolling you out of the out of the uh, classroom in a stretcher with an oxygen mask over your face not convinced that i was going to make it back to my car which i had not paid for parking for that long and i'm like oh my god are we gonna get a ticket at least on roller coasters they put that warning up you know right you've been waiting in line for an hour and 15 minutes and then there's a sign that says oh by the way if you're pregnant or have a heart condition you probably shouldn't or if you're too too short you probably shouldn't drive in but no no let's let's do this incredibly rigorous thing to you that your body can't handle and that you have no uh coordinates for and we'll do it to you and then we'll tell you by the way that people die when they're doing this (laughs) <laughs> so yeah poor jason is really put out I mean, maybe the <laughs> teleportation thing is stressful it seems like it would be easier maybe that's the, what it you is. know just willing your body to go from one end of a short disco slash snack bar to the to the other right seems like that would be easier than actual moving and stomping around it's but yeah, his breathing belies that notion it's very true and, and, and <laughs> yeah so the so the the teleport Jason is 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 not born in this scene he's actually born in the scene with um, JJ what's the yeah it's, it's, yes. it's, it's, that's that's where the first instance of teleportation uh, teleport Jason actually appears but he this is the weirdest one I mean this is incredibly strange this whole bit where she's standing in the middle of an empty dance floor and can't get away from jason i i feel like like i said earlier that they they're trying a couple different things and i feel like this is supposed to be sort of a weird giallo sort of thing where 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 he's everywhere and then he's nowhere and then oh no he's right there in front of you and it's too late and he's not just everywhere and nowhere at one point he is in two places at once (laughs) yes they they look at each other like Oh, the fuck? You can see me? Yes. Yeah, I see you. Yes. You have a hockey mask on. And, yes. And this, and this would be much more effective is that the room wasn't lit like a wedding reception at a VFW hall. <laughs> I, I don't know how she has so much trouble keeping track of where he is because there's there, there's not a single shadow in that entire, in the entire room. There is no place for him to hide. She either has no peripheral vision or just no aware or her bangs, her hair is just keeping her from being able to see things to the side because you don't really actually have to turn more than 45 degrees to see where he is next. Well, and then don't forget that she is looking dead at him when he grabs her. (laughs) She is looking straight into his face. I mean, he is right in front of her. 
when he leaps into frame and grabs her by the neck. So, I mean, it's not even about just the bangs or the peripheral vision or the suspenders blocking her ability to see. It's that he is just appearing out of nowhere, and uh, it makes zero sense. And it's the first time in the entire series that he's had this ability. And I should add, I found out today, I'm not a gamer, I'm not a video game guy, but Mm -hmm. I have recently learned uh, in doing research for uh, this podcast, because that's the kind of guy that I am, that the video game has incorporated the teleportation as like a either like a finishing move or a or a special you press certain you mash certain buttons together and you get to teleport but it is an in joke from Jason in this movie. Yeah, I mean we've we've seen we've seen baby steps towards this before. And I I think it sort of starts in part 2. That third act plays a, a wonderful magic trick on people. There's a couple incidents where the camera will veer left and then veer back right, and you think Jason, who you last saw on the left, will be coming that way, and then he comes on the right. So, but that's explainable. Like he, the killer he is in that movie is someone who can sneak around on you. He's a, he's a stalker. He then becomes a lumbering mutant after that, who in part four can go up and down the both stories of a single house in a in a snap. Yes, without anybody noticing, without any of the occupants of the house noticing. Yes. And no um, one smells him, no. which is something I've brought. Oh, about I've totally endlessly. talked about that. I, you know, my it's one of my complaints, and I, I, I've worked with Marcus Nispel on a couple of different projects, neither of which uh, came to fruition over the years. We've we've worked on a couple of different things, and I've never had this discussion with him. But the thing about uh, Friday, two thousand nine is this kind of recurring move that Jason makes where he's standing behind people that don't realize he's standing behind them. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, A, that was never Jason's thing. Like, I don't know where this, why they do it, like, four times in that movie where the camera pans over and then suddenly he's standing right behind somebody. But wouldn't you smell him? Like, in that movie especially, they establish, like, in this one, okay, he's been in the ocean and it's raining. Maybe he doesn't stink anymore. <laughs> you know, maybe as a maybe as a dead guy who's been preserved, you know, I will I will allow for it and Jason takes Vancouver. <laughs> but in the 2009, like he should stink like nothing else in the world stinks and people stand and do not know that he's standing right behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the teleportation thing is an interesting yeah, and in final chapter you're right, there's a lot of upstairs downstairs stuff where you know, that is not a huge house and he should technically have to walk up and down flights of stairs in front of victims in order for him to get where he is. Uh, but this is kind of crazy town and I just feel like it's it's a little on the kind of lazy side. And if you're introducing the idea that he can magically appear in front of or behind people and be in two places at once, then why does he bother doing any of the stalking and slashing stuff that he does otherwise? Why does he chase anyone? Like, it, it's a can of worms. It's a weird... I, I listen to the commentary, and he talks about how... Rob Hedden talks about how, oh, he can be anywhere. I wanted to say that he can be anywhere. Yes, okay, that's great. But the can of worms on a logistical and kind of filmic level is... It, it, then he shouldn't have to chase anyone, you know? Uh, it wants to have it both ways. Yeah. And as a result, you get neither. Right. Um, you have to paint a target, otherwise you'll never know where to shoot. Exactly. And then he strangles her and throws her on the floor. Yeah, there's 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 three elements I, I need to bring up here in this particular space. First one is we learned that this room has fire doors that swing inward, which would... <laughs> Yeah, and then the, and then the other doors are locked. 
Yes, with a chain. She tries to get into where you would enter the snack bar, but she's in a panic. <laughs> Secondly, uh, this sequence is apparently filmed by Kenny from Terror Train because it's all <laughs> twirling, twirling, twirling. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and lastly... <laughs> Is that uh, the whatever record the DJ left on? Apparently, it's a Joe Satriani record because it's all <laughs> guitar solo. Yes, for all what feels like fifty minutes of this scene. Now, Jared, you worked with Toby Hooper. I did, and the thing that I love the 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 signature that I pull from a lot of Toby's movies is he gets characters to a point. Where they simply go mad yes. at the craziness of this. Yes. This is how, don't let anyone fool you. You can tell that Poltergeist is a Toby Hooper movie. Correct. Thank because you. Because the characters in that movie, immediately, you know, they might gaze off into a light that's just past the camera. That's right. But they're also going mad. That's right. When they fall into a pool of dead bodies. When a clown tries to strangle them. When they pull another child out of a tree that's trying to eat them. That's right. They're like, this fucking crazy. That's right. That's Toby Hooper. That's right. Or that's... when your boss has been lying to you on on, on the street in front of your house. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I always, always say that nobody did crazy like Toby Hooper. Nobody did crazy like Toby. And I, I had many conversations with him about that because it is. It's something that you go through. I mean, Poltergeist, that you're exactly right. And I have brought up those exact same examples. But you look at the madness in Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the madness in Eaten Alive or Funhouse or Texas Chainsaw 2. Uh, I mean, it's it's a palpable thing where he seemed to push actors to these levels that I just, I don't know how he consistently got people to go to that place but he did and he did it beautifully and such a gentle soul by all accounts i never met the man but yes but he seemed to be able to find a way to put that on mm. film whereas now let's contrast this with what i believe the filmmaker is attempting to do here where he's put he's put eva in a room where she has no escape lights are going crazy the dance floor is insane there's a guitar solo that just won't stop and this oozing killer is <laughs> popping like he's fucking jack in the box or nightcrawler from the That's x-men right. all over the place and what you want at this is for her to go you want her to freak the fuck out and i don't I, that was the intention but they never ask her to do anything that relays that and the movie never builds towards it and so it's really kind of sad. Uh, Gina, <laughs> any thoughts on Eva's death? Yeah, her emoting is is on a Joan Crawford level when you compare it to that of, um, what's the next guy? The guy with the hair? His oh, name? Wayne? Wayne, yeah. And when when you look at how he reacts to, to discovering JJ's body and, oh, I don't know, accidentally killing a man, he's, he's, <laughs> he's just... <laughs> I mean, you know, I just, he's just, yeah, all right, I guess this is something I have to deal with. He, he seems the mildest of put out. <laughs> some, some, uh, some actors, uh, you know, they'll say they act with their eyes or they act with their eyebrows or, or they act with their, with their mouths. But Kelly Hugh in, in her death scene is acting with her shoes. <laughs> <laughs> they are cute shoes. 
Oh, they're they're adorable. <laughs> Very cute shoes. But the kicking feet is is more kind of uh, emotive than what her performance is is giving to us. Poor poor Kelly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, Jason uh, chokes her with both hands. Yes. Which, for a guy who we've seen real feats of strength from this mm. individual, he's crushed skulls. That's right. Uh, he has <laughs> uh, folded people in half. Yeah, I mean, her, her head should be popping off like a Pez dispenser. It's true. Exactly. With one hand. He held a guy aloft with a spear gun in his crotch and just held him up. In the damn air, he's got that right. Voorhees family forearm strength. That, That's right. But here, he's just kind of like, eh. Well, don't forget, he took the stairs. <laughs> he took the stairs to get here. He's a little winded. He's like, um, all of a sudden, he's reduced to Michael Myers, you know, choking his heart. That's right. He, he's been he's been moving he's been moving couches and boxes all day for his friends. What do you want from <laughs> he's him? So out of breath. I forgot how out of breath this corpse is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the real the real sell the real payoff is the is the incredibly violent hurl to the floor. Yeah, well, that's the weird thing. I I enjoy those little moments of of brutality, as it were, or or reality entering into this. But it's so out of place with everything that's happened before it. You have these fantastical setup in this ridiculous room, and then this like plump on the ground, which could have been cool, but no, it's weird. It's an incredibly strange. It's it's one of the weirder Friday the Thirteenth death scenes, in my opinion. It's an incredibly <laughs> strange. Not to mention, you know, the teleportation and the running around the room and then the strangulation with the weird, weird reaction to the strangulation. And then just the heave-ho throwing her onto the dance floor is incredibly strange. It's just, it's so weird. It's like two minutes of screen time, but I could talk about it for another half an hour. I know the audience doesn't <laughs> it's want It's fascinating. <laughs> it's like the shower scene in Psycho. It's, it's absolutely, it, it deserves to be studied frame by frame. I was so glad that this scene was in amongst the deaths that I got to talk about because <laughs> it's so utterly fascinating on so many levels. And I mean, there's amazing Steadicam work and, and clearly like the, the lighting. I mean, like there's, there is top-notch filmmaking going on here in terms of the, the personnel, in terms of the, the people that are actually putting the stuff on the screen. But my yeah. God, at the service of what? <laughs> I mean, the bar is stocked with alcohol, right. which for a high school cruise seems... Not the smartest move. But then again, the popcorn maker is not just have, doesn't just have some popcorn in it. It's filled to the top. You can't make more popcorn because it's literally filled all the way up to the top of it with popcorn. Every part of this is a cavalcade of crazy fucking details. Mm -hmm. Okay. We need, we just need to stop talking about it. Otherwise we'll, we'll only talk about it. All right. So we cut to Julius, and Julius is doing what he does best, which is take fucking care of business. He has a plan. He has scoured the ship in two locations, game rooms and hallways. That's right. That's right. Very specific. <laughs> he, yeah, very specific. He's found axes, which are fire axes. They should be found in hallways. He's also found two shotguns. Why they were stored in a game room without a lock a, on them is a bit it's much. It's a very well, very curiously armed cruise ship. I, I will, I will stick up for the 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 internal logic of the movie. They did have a skeet shooting scene earlier on the deck of the ship. 
that was established. So I'm I'm okay with the guns. I am with you on what you know the idea that they would be there in the first place being very questionable. But they they go to these links to show both the axes on the walls and the skeet shooting in order to establish that these things are there. Uh, yeah, I I'm not that yeah. I believe. The fact that they weren't locked up. Oh, absolutely. Is just the, no, it's the thing that I find a little spurious. Yes. But okay. Uh, that I'll give them. Can, you know, compare that to the, the death we just yes. talked about. Like, this is easy straight. This is a yes. minor bump absolutely. in the road. Um, I'm, a to- I'm totally invested in Julius. Oh, yeah. He is tough. Yes. He is smart. He is proactive. He's everything you could possibly want in a Friday the 13th mm-hmm. character. And he is given almost no respect <laughs> by this movie whatsoever. No, I mean, but he is given the best death. Quite, yes. pos- quite oh, yes. possibly. One of the best in, moments in the franchise. Yeah, I was going to say, if not in the whole series, and definitely yeah. in the last couple of movies. Absolutely. Yes, it's a, it's a standout. That and, and Sleeping Bag in Part 7 definitely popped to mind. Okay. Um, so they have a plan. They're going to arm themselves. They're all going to split up, which is the best way to hunt down a killer. Of, of course. Don't pair up in twos. Go off on your own. Because be, because who is a more efficient you know manhunter than a bunch of high school seniors? <laughs> That's right. Well, from, from small town, rural New Jersey. Taking a very long voyage to Manhattan. Having grown up in small town, rural New Jersey, I certainly would have trusted my classmates to, to, to single-handedly hunt down a, a a living dead creature with with the strength of of one hundred men. A living creature that this town seems to have a very losing record against. That's right. In terms of being able to foil his plans to murder every young person in sight. It's it's amazing to me that there are this many young people left. It's also worth pointing out that this is when the movie and you you actually Patrick actually pointed this out to me and it never really dawned on me. This is where it becomes a siege movie, mm. and which is interesting. I've always said that the difference between a slasher and a siege, uh, a slasher movie and a siege, and a siege movie is awareness. Because in a slasher movie, the usual rule, the usual conceit that you have to try to maintain as on a writing level, on a screenplay level, is that nobody can know that the killer is operating, that the killer is doing the deeds, is killing people. Because as soon as they know that, then you would take steps. Yeah. You, would, you would batten down the hatches, you would get to the authorities, you would do whatever it takes. Now, a siege movie usually is something like Night of the Living Dead or Assault in Precinct 13 or any of those kinds of movies where you know pretty much from the jump that you're in danger and so you board up the windows and doors and you find whatever weapons you can and you take action against uh, the enemy. And so it's very interesting because it rarely happens in Friday the 13th movies that people take up arms against Jason. Yeah, it's trying to combine a couple recent trends. And I think um, the that's what we love about reviewing Friday the 13th movies. Very few franchises were built to come out year after year after year with a couple skips here and there. They're they're reacting very quickly, not only to the last film, but to what else is in the marketplace. That's right. That's so right. in part six, you shift from a stalker slasher, uh, in essence, or an unstoppable killer sort of movie into a monster movie. He's Godzilla. He's Frankenstein. He's you, you just walk into his path and you get destroyed. In part seven, they take it in a different direction. They they pull him back to a, a stalker slash unstoppable killing machine operation. And then we have a clash of supernatural titans at the end. 
Right. So here there, we're trying to have it both ways. We're trying to have this sequence where people are aware of what's happening, but are truly unprepared for the onslaught. And then because this part of the movie was never supposed to exist. Right. Right. It was all supposed to be in Manhattan. Then we have this complete shift uh, once the boat sinks to a, a back to a different kind of movie while they are aware they're on the run in an unfriendly city. And that also has, they're trying desperately to be kind of a, a warriors where <laughs> they're running from place to place to place, but all they can afford are alleyways. Right, 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 right. Well, maybe Gina was onto something because this is kind of ends now. At this point in this movie, this suddenly is taking a lot of cues from aliens. Yeah. Where they're in the dank hallways and they've got weapons and you're literally coming up soon. We're going to have Wayne with his camera to his eye while he's got the gun in the other hand, which is very. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that. I actually hadn't thought about that, but it's a really, really good point. But what your point, your point about the, the shift is, is always interesting to me. A, this is the longest Friday the 13th movie to date. This has the longest running time of any Friday the 13th movie that exists. It is 100 it minutes long. long. Not only does it feel long, but I, I went to the New Beverly Cinema, ran uh, an eight-movie Friday the 13th all-nighter a couple of years ago, which was incredible. And I went, and you know uh, they did a Nightmare on Elm Street one, and the, the, the prize at the end of that was you got seven movies, and the, the prize was New Nightmare, and that was like a great, you know, great way to cap it off. The prize at the end of Friday the 13th, you know, uh, one through eight, is, is Jason Takes Manhattan, which is, is no prize at all. But when you've been watching seven movies all night and you get to part eight and part eight is basically like a two it's almost like two movies yeah oh yeah, yeah. there's it's it's it, 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 it's a two-part movie where you have the boat stuff and we're now what we're talking about right now is the beginning of the third act of part one of jason takes manhattan because then a whole other movie starts up and i will tell you when you are sleep deprived and you desperately want this to be over and you've been watching seven <laughs> friday the 13th movies up to this point Point. The the, uh, the point where part where this all starts to happen and it feels like a ramp up to a third act, and then it goes on for another thirty plus minutes in New York with an entirely different kind of premise and and style. It's heartbreaking. It is. <laughs> it, it, it really it, it breaks your spirit. It, it it broke my spirit. I couldn't. I got up at one point and just went to the bathroom. Just kind of st- stood in the lobby and saw that the sun had come out. <laughs> And couldn't believe it. It was just one of these moments where it's like, oh, God, they're still not there yet. They're still not in New York. Um, but it really does. It, it, it's a fascinating structure. And it really does come out of, uh, as Patrick said, it really does come out of this development hell that Jason Takes Manhattan fell in. And it wasn't in development hell, really. It's a wrong statement, the wrong way. It was just development, period. It was very quickly thrown together and made. But his initial draft was they were going to be on the boat for 15 or 20 minutes, and then they were going to get to New York, and it was going to be New York, New York, New York, New York, New York, and Jason doing all this great stuff. And then in the process, uh, they said, well, you can't afford to do all that New York, so you're going to need to do more on the boat. So the boat stuff just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you got this weird structure. You have this incredibly strange two-part structure. So let's wrap this up with with Wayne here. Um, I, this is a very good observation. Oh, and Julius has of, this great uh, line, which is nothing but this gun, by the way, which is we have to mention. <laughs> he pauses. What are you going to take, Julius? O- almost as if he's yes, aware of the. No, camera. it's fantastic. <laughs> but we can we can move on. But I had to get it's such a great line. It was such a fantastic moment where he's like, you know, the brave guy on the ship. You know, what are you, gonna take, Julius? Nothing. 
but this gun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we cut to Wayne in the bowels of the ship, uh, which we've seen once before with JJ. And yeah, I, Gina, uh, once again, is always right. We we are now stealing from aliens. So we're stealing from the best here. We've put someone in nothing but greats. And... (laughs) And also random steam shooters. Yes, which is very aliens. Yeah, he gets he gets shot and he gets he takes a thing of steam right in the face and doesn't even. I mean, he he turns away and then he's fine. Like, dude, your your half your face should be melting exactly. off. And why is he carrying his camera? I think he's using it as a, he's using the flashlight part of it. Oh, he's using. Uh, it oh, as I see. The, I, yeah, no, see, I thought he was doing light. some sort of like Cloverfield yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> well. I was going to say, it becomes that. It becomes the very first instance of the killers, anyway, of the of the, the Michaels and Freddies and, and Jasons. It is the first found footage moment of the franchises. Yes. Uh, certainly, I mean, I guess you could so almost then peg it to aliens because they use body cameras. Um, but that's the feel and the look we're going for. Yeah, he manages to only get his glasses knocked off and not have his eyeballs rupture when <laughs> hot steam erupts <laughs> in his face. Yeah, he has, he, he has his, like, he, he apparently, now I, I must point out I have very poor vision, but he's legally blind. I mean, he needs like a cup of pencils because he just can render completely and utterly helpless as, as soon as he loses his glasses. Yes, and I understand. I actually, you know, it's one of the rare instances in this movie where I actually buy, other than the circumstances, I buy everything that happens. I buy that he would immediately shoot, you know, a human figure (laughs) that is coming at him when he can't see because he doesn't know how to handle a gun and he shouldn't have one. And he's got a gun in one hand and a video camera in the other. So, and he can't see. So I would totally, I buy it. It's one of the rare instances where there is a human believable emotion a human believable action being a reaction being taken uh where he sees that guy coming and and just open fire yeah uh the the only other really repercussion from him getting blasted in the face with steam is that his hair becomes even more river phoenix like (laughs) yes um which i'm sure is what got him cast good for him uh you got a hell of a head of hair uh, he he shoots this guy in cold fucking blood. That's right. And then we begin a very weird. Uh, he sees it through the video camera, which he can then focus. Mm-hmm. The problem with this is that instead of just letting the cameraman do it with the with the light attached, mm-hmm. a third person is moving the light <laughs> at a different speed <laughs> with the camera, and it makes it a little weirdly obvious. But this, of course, is what helps us see um, Kane Hodder slip on the ground as he enters the frame. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so when I found that this morning, I was so <laughs> delighted. Who <laughs> <laughs> put this Vaseline on my shoes? <laughs> I mean, why, why would you need it on the soles of your shoes for crying out loud? Um, well, how will you effectively squish? That's right. <laughs> That's true. Well, That's right. every part of him should squish. He is a reconstituted raisin with bones in it. <laughs> <laughs> now he doesn't just shoot. You know, it's it's not just a guy. It's not. I mean, it's it's this weird handyman dude that's on the boat. It's sexy handyman. It's yeah. sexy handyman who Tamara had eyes for, and yeah. since Wayne has had eyes for Tamara, there is like a weird little kind of lair to this where he has shot. <laughs> 
a uh, you know a, a, a competition. Yes, he's eliminated his competition after the fact. Yeah, he never found found out that Tamarad was killed. Only 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 Eva knew that. That's right. That's right. They only saw themselves on the the what what is on the other side of the veil. That's right. Um, in order to actually, <laughs> in order to actually get there, however, he uh, blindly just races the fuck away from Jason. Which That's hey, right. good move. Listen, mm-hmm. he doesn't catch Friday the Thirteenth disease. He's like fuck this, fuck y'all, I'm out, mm-hmm. and he just runs. Now he runs down. That's not a good idea. But he <laughs> yeah. doesn't know where the staircases are going. So he just runs to a staircase and heads that way. He manages to trip over the end of a flying V guitar, which probably weighs three pounds, but okay. Mm-hmm. And finds the body of poor JJ, who has been given a wound that does not necessarily comport to the way we have seen her die. Um, she has a massive hole in her head, which looks like Jason was supposed to stick the end of the flying V into it. And sort of uh, jab kill her, not smash her, which is the what right. we see right, 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 um, right, right. during that sequence. So it wouldn't be the first time the makeup department didn't talk to the director, and they decided, well, we can't, we don't have time to film that. Just to have them smash it and smash a bag of ketchup, and then we're done. <laughs> it's it's kind of surprising that it's as gory as it is because this movie has had you know a lot of uh, off screen and 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 avoiding the gore type stuff. I yeah, I, I mean, it had a, it had a you know someone getting their throat slashed and did not bleed. Right, 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 right. No, and it's one of these things. I mean, I'm sure that you guys both kind of caught wind of this, but you know with the MPAA with the Friday the 13th and this is the eighth one they had been in trouble with the MPAA they were a target for the MPAA uh, all the way through from part one on and so the MPAA were just gunning for them and so I think that Hedden actually was kind of shooting to accommodate like he had hit the shots of gore and blood that he hoped would be in the version of the movie that he wanted but then he also kind of shot the kind of tame PG-13 version and then the kind of TV version mm-hmm. so that they would have something to fall back on because one of the problems I think with seven especially and they may maybe this is where because it was the same production team maybe they must have ta- told him like because seven had massive massive cuts done to it where you can't even there some of the kills are incomprehensible you don't actually know what has happened oh, we know yes <laughs> and so I think that they must have told head and given him like a tip like hey look it's going to be a bitch, but can you shoot your kills two and three different ways where they get, you know, less and less bloody and less gory so that we can try to get away with stuff as much as we can, but you also have these backups. So I'm wondering if the, you know, sideways guitar smash to the head was a, you know, a cover. True. It's dark enough that you could probably get away if you color timed it the right way, you'd probably get it past a, a tv editor it would work on usa late at night right 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 right. and uh and then you would have a gorier version hopefully for theatrical which we obviously don't really see so there's there's an intention and what we actually see are two different things but that's movie making we've expected at this point but it, it must be noted uh this is where uh jason does not stop down the two levels he teleports that's right right on down to be standing right behind wayne exactly uh picks him up and throws him into this electrical panel yes which explodes like the fourth of fucking july so whatever wayne is wearing is 
particularly Flammable. devastating to this well, mechanical apparatus. I think they must be kerosene underwear. <laughs> because the first thing that goes up, I'm, I'm sure you went back and looked at this very closely. The first thing that ignites is his crotch. <laughs> and I am not lying. I am not making this up or exaggerating. The first thing of Wayne's that bursts into flames is his crotch. I can believe it yep. based on his, the way he's talked about it. Tamara, I think he has <laughs> held on to a lot of things up to this point. And really, it's a miracle that he hasn't met anything flammable at that level. Because whatever it was going to be, it was going to cause a, a real explosion. <laughs> but let's face it, that panel was a death trap. It really was. I mean, all it took was a body just come like not even a full body slam. No. He was tossed over there. Yes. And he's a skinny dude. He's a skinny dude. He does not weigh, uh, you know, 200 pounds. He's he is a skinny skinny guy. Uh so basically the ship has wanted to commit suicide and is using <laughs> the death of this 18-year-old River Phoenix look like to to go, "Oh god damn it, you gave me the excuse. Let's do this thing." <laughs> <laughs> who by the way is like a super duper hipster by today's standards oh yeah oh yeah, yeah sure. so no. without question yeah he's the nerdy kind of guy that isn't gonna get any girls in this movie and at looking at it in 2017 he is what a hot guy that would be like a babe magnet it would look like uh at uh, a party right now if he was walking around silver lake or brooklyn he would be getting it left and right from all comers he would be pansexualing it up. <laughs> he would make that work for him. But instead, he had to die horribly on a control panel that clearly had, you know, one small frayed wire in it that was going to cause a huge explosion whenever anybody leaned on it too hard. Well, he shouldn't have had a flammable crotch. It's true. It's, the more you know, <laughs> the rainbow stars. the <laughs> 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 um and yeah that's uh that's the lazarus is like you know what thank god you put that electrical panel next to my fuel tank <laughs> yes then we get all the shots of the fuel tanks and the and the, the huge immolation just this gigantic fire i mean that's a out. really good dummy <laughs> yeah uh, com compared to the some of we saw a head in part seven that we were pretty sure was created out of used blood. <laughs> ah, yes. Probably was. And, and this is so much better. Yes. Like, it, they just... It doesn't, uh, it doesn't suffer burns, which is interesting to me. Like, we, you, when they, yeah. they have that one long, kind of, it's a little too long, shot of the body burning, and they establish that they, they pan over slowly, and they establish that the, the fuel stuff is there, the fuel tanks are there. Um, and the film is not filled with pans over quickly. His his flesh on his face is is completely uh, unblemished. It is not yes. there. He has suffered no burns, even though he's dead and burning. But uh, yeah, it's a great dummy, though. It's a fantastic looking dummy. Fire requires oxygen. He's nearly poreless, so oxygen can't get in. Oh, there you go. He can't light on fire. There you go. I just you think Logic. you had it, and I just I whammed you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a man. <laughs> and that sadly brings us to uh, the part of this podcast that everyone is talking about constantly to themselves, not to anyone else ever, never on social media, not anywhere else. And that is 
uh, choose your own death venture. Now we're gonna we're gonna decide amongst the deaths that we witnessed in our section of the movie for this episode. If we had to die one of those ways, which one we would choose, and why? And to review, we have getting tossed on an electrical panel and having your crotch explode, <laughs> getting shot by an eighteen-year-old high school graduate who can't see. Or being choked to death in a disco snack bar. And Jared, Rivet, as our guest, I turn to you first. What say you, sir? I would have to say that it would be the flaming crotch uh, control panel fire. Because uh, okay. I just think that that is... A, a, if you're going to go out in a blaze of glory, that is literally the blaze that I want to be in. I mean, look at the head of hair on that Yeah. Kid. Who wouldn't want to go out with that head no. of hair? Like you came out on no, top. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what, you know. I mean, you you look at the Kelly Hugh and you say like, well, there's kind of a weak strangulation, acting with the feet thrown on the floor. No, and uh, and, and for me, it's it's about the flaming crutch. Everyone in this sequence is going to have a hard lane. <laughs> if you're looking for a soft landing, this was the wrong section of the movie to view. So. I think that's a perfectly legitimate choice. All right, Gina, what uh, what is your I, choice? I probably weighed this more than I usually weigh this decision on other episodes. I the first thing I kept coming back to is is uh, like Wayne. I, I have uh, Millhouse level of of, uh, of vision. <laughs> um, I I would like to think I I would recognize the difference between you know a crew member and and a hulking undead serial killer. Um, and yet I, I, I don't want to be electrocuted. That seems like an unpleasant way to die. And also I, I can absolutely see me accidentally getting shot by someone who has lost his glasses when he takes a blast of steam to the face. So I, I am going to have to take, uh, I'm going to take sexy crew members way out. <laughs> yeah, I think I, Gina, you've convinced me. <laughs> There's no way I'm going out in a snack bar listening to guitar solo rock. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not going to happen. Uh, secondly, I really love aliens. So that seems like a gimme. And um, a shot to the gut, um, even if you're suffering, like that boat's about to explode in the next five minutes. So we don't really know for sure that he's he could just be in shock in that moment and really dies when the boat goes under. So... Yeah, I'm going with sexy crew member. There you go. Yeah, there you go. That does it. Okay, so Jared, uh, where can people find you, and where can people find the things that you've done? Okay, I am on Twitter. I think I'm just at Jared Rivet One because that was what was available when I went on Twitter. Um, I have written uh, my first produced feature film is called Jackals. And Jackals it was directed by Kevin Groydert, uh, the director of Saw 6 and Saw the Final Chapter. Um, it has uh, stars uh, Jonathan Sheck and Deborah Kara Unger and Stephen Dorff. And um, it is available just about any way that you can get stuff at this point. It's not on Netflix, but it's like everything else where you can rent or buy. So... Redbox and Vudu and Amazon, uh, you know, to rent on Amazon and on demand. And uh, it's on Blu-ray and DVD from Scream Factory, the good people at Scream Factory. And uh, I am extremely proud of the movie. It's a good uh, cult siege uh, horror movie. 
And um, you can look for that on uh, Jackal's Movie on Twitter, at Jackal's Movie, and also on Facebook. I think it's Jackal's Movie. Um, as uh, Patrick knows, I am the co-host of Dead Right Horror Trivia, which is a monthly horror trivia game that unfortunately you have to be local it's not something there's no online version or anything but uh it's at blast from the past in burbank uh every third thursday of the month and um i've been doing that for two years now but i've been playing the game since the beginning which i think is like five or six years now at this point um and then i also write and direct and act in uh Pod plays, uh, uh, scary radio dramas for the internet for a company called Earbud Theater. And uh, they are earbudtheater.com. They are at Earbud Theater on Twitter. And they're also on Facebook uh, under Earbud Theater. And those are great. Those are really cool, kind of old school, uh, scary radio shows with really high production values. And uh, we get industry people to come in and do the sound mixes and the sound effects. And we get great actors to come in. And uh, we just did a five part. Uh, the first serialized story on Earbud, most of it is kind of Twilight Zone-y uh, anthology kind of stuff where they're one-offs, but we just did a five-part uh, story called After the Haunting, which I uh, play the lead in. I didn't I didn't write it or direct it, but I got to play the lead in it, and uh, it's doing extremely well, and uh, I want uh, more people to listen to it. All right. Get out there, people. Uh, I can't recommend Jackals enough. You got a prime Steven Dorff yes. performance. Oh, he's, he's actually so good. trying. Yes, yes. It's it's not lazy Steven no. Dorff. You get full Dorff. <laughs> the full Dorff. He's, he must have been vaping up a full stack. <laughs> he was. To have all the energy <laughs> was gonna, that movie. I was going to say, he's given, he's given it that blue E-cigs treatment. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He had, really putting himself he out He had there. one of those in his pocket the entire time we were making the movie. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, but he was great. He was great, and his he's actually really strong in the movie. Like he he's I am I I agree. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's I I thought it might be too familiar, but there are some twists in there that should not be ruined for you before you see no, it. No. Just go in cold. Yes, and know that Scream Factory does not put out terrible movies. No, they only put out good to great movies. Thank you. And uh, I, I liked it quite a bit. Hey, Gina, where can people find you on the internet? Well, after all that, I, I feel a little bit inadequate when I say that I <laughs> I, uh, I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Um, as of this recording, I am diving deep into the sordid world of all three Amy Fisher movies. Ooh. <laughs> Whoa, including the Alyssa Milano one, I assume. That is that is next. That's going to be next week. Oh, that's beautiful. I have to listen. <laughs> do it today, people. Hey, you want to talk to us at the Kill by Kill podcast? There's a couple easy ways to do it. Very simple on Twitter, at Kill by Kill Pod. Uh, you have something longer than 140 to 280 characters, which... The 280 only seems to be given to the worst people on the planet that we've seen so far. Um... <laughs> Or they're the only ones who dare to use it. Can tell you. But uh, email us, uh, killbykillpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, killbykillpodcast. We do fun things over there. Uh, check us out. Hey, uh, you you love the podcast. You're listening to it. So why not uh, let iTunes know about it? That will help us grow. And if you tell us what your favorite Friday the 13th kill is of all time, we will we will tell it to the world on this podcast. That's our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill podcast listener. 
Oh, don't be afraid, people. Uh, the body count will continue. Until next time, for Jared and for Gene and myself, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.